0: Today we continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew, picking up in Matthew 14, verse 34 through chapter 15 and verse 9. We welcome those visiting among us as we turn to the Word of God together today. Hear now God's Word. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, So far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to our hearts today by his spirit. It was about 10 days ago. I'm driving 494 across town. A bunch of lights pop up on the dashboard. The battery, the check engine, the brakes. And you car gurus know exactly what is happening, don't you? The lights are an external indicator of a serious internal problem. So serious that, sure enough, not long later, I am pulling off on the side of the highway on the shoulder with a dead vehicle. The alternator had completely gone. Well, Matthew 15 gives us a certain sort of external warning light to a grave and serious spiritual disease. Apparel to the body of Christ... As one theologian says, it will distort your view of God, yourself, and others. It will make you think you don't need God's grace. It is a plague from generation to generation. It is the default mode of the human heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What is it? It is legalism, moralism, externalism hypocrisy, formalism, all sorts of different forms, but it is a false gospel. And Jesus says it is the Pharisees here who are teaching the commandments of men to be the Word of God. Did you see that at the end of verse 9? That's where this is coming from. In light of this real and present danger, in the days of Christ and today, what is the cure As Michael Reeves rightly says, it is gospel integrity. What does that mean for you, your family, your marriage, our church? This is God's church. Your school, all the different areas of life. How is this impacting that? Let's see first in the deadly disease of legalism. The context is Jesus has fed the crowd of up to 20,000. He's walked on water. People have heard about just touching Jesus' garment and being healed, and that's what's happening. They're coming to Christ for a healing, many of these crowds not in true faith to worship him, and yet in compassion he heals them. Well, this is happening, some Pharisees and scribes make a 90-mile journey, that's a long ways in that day, kids, from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee by Gennesaret. These Pharisees are the ones whose name means separated ones. A party, a sect, a faction. They are proud of their legacy and the traditions that they had that set them apart. They're skilled in the law of God. The scribes are the ones who are writing down a lot of these laws. So they come together as a pack. They're coming together. As fierce opponents of Christ. We know that throughout the Gospels. From the very beginning of the ministry of Christ, they are seeking to put him to death. They're furious with him. They claim that Jesus did miracles by Satan. They come to trap him, to trick him with a question. Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Tradition, right? That comes to your mind. What's going on here? All sorts of traditions in our experience. Some of them are really good family traditions. There are good church traditions. Typically, we have our prayer meeting the second Wednesday of the month. We are to stand firm, 2 Thessalonians, and hold to the traditions that were taught to us by the Word of God. It's good to be a student of history. We need to know history lest we repeat it. We need to avoid chronological snobbery. We live in an anti-traditional age. Many are too dismissive of tradition. What's going on here, though, and I think Kevin DeYoung helps us, is what's called traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Church history, we want to study it and know it. Traditionalism, he says, is the dead faith of the living. Tradition for its own sake. Man-made laws enforced on top of God's law. Unbiblical theological views. Let's look at this in this context. Because you're saying, washing your hands. Isn't it good to wash your hands, kids? Isn't that what they teach you in kindergarten? Mom and Dad, talk to you. You're out playing in the mud. You're not going to come and dig into your pizza with mud on your hands. It's good to wash them. This is not an issue of hygiene. It's not an issue of dirt. It's ceremonial defilement. The law of God in Exodus said the priest is to wash his hands. This is part of the civil law of God. As he enters the temple, hands need to be washed. Ceremonial cleansing. Ceremonial cleansing. What the Pharisees had done is extend that to everyone. As Sproul says, a bad form of the priesthood of all believers. They're now saying everyone must wash their hands in ritual cleansing before they eat bread. You think, how did that happen? By unbiblical oral tradition. By things being passed down. That's the tradition of the elders, hair-splitting details. Eventually, it's written down at the end of the second century by scribes in what's called the Mishnah. The Gemara is a commentary on the Mishnah. Together, it makes up the Talmud. All sorts of volumes, 25% of it dealing with ritual purity. Like if you are a Jew and you touch a Gentile and you don't wash your hands and you eat, then that food, because it... Came from a hand that touched a Gentile defiles you. How would Jesus answer this question? How would you answer it? Do you notice? Instead of answering it, he asks them a question. He captures the agenda, a good strategy. We have to ask the right questions and set aside the wrong ones. Jesus says, Why do you, scribes and Pharisees, put the tradition of men above the Word of God as the ultimate authority in your life? That's the issue here. They are binding people's conscience to things that are not required in the Bible. This first century Judaism had become, as Kim Rillebarger says, a religion of lawyers. We love lawyers, but that's what it's become. Jesus is saying, let's talk about what you Pharisees have done with God's law, verse 4. Let's talk about the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother, applying to all of us at all stages of life, showing parents honor and respect, love, care, concern, from the time we're little to the time we're old and they're old. You Pharisees say, you see the contrast? Moses says, fifth commandment, Honor your father and mother. But you say, what's happening here? It's a very detailed issue that Mark 7 brings out, dealing with something that's called korban, meaning a gift to God. This was a practice, and it's not a bad practice in and of itself, that's important to remember, that was going on in this day, similar to deferred giving to today. So if a person had some money, that they should have given to care for their elderly parents in this case, but instead devoted to God, it can't be touched, and they neglect their care for their parents. That's what Jesus is getting at. That you guys are saying, "Corban, I dedicate this money to the Lord. It's going to the temple. When I die, they're getting it. Mom and Dad, I can't help you. <laughs> Sorry. Corban. And we made a vow, and we can't go back on our vow the Pharisees are using this very peculiar thing to get out of obeying their parents, to get out of honoring and caring for them. Jesus says you're tossing out God's commandment to try to uphold your man-made law. Many things you do like this, he says in Mark 7. You get around the law, you reject the law, and you replace it with your tradition. The issue is about authority. The Word of God is the only authority under which we live. It's an issue for us. Are we regulating our lives in the way we live under the Word of God or another authority? All of the Bible is God's Word. It's coherent. It's consistent. It's not tradition and the Bible. It's not tradition over the Bible. It's Scripture alone. Not solo scriptura, not that we in our Bible just kind of make it up as we go. There's a good history of tradition of the church, confessions and creeds that are faithful summaries of the Bible. We're not saying that. But do you see what's happening? The traditions of man are being elevated above the Bible. So Jesus says, you are hypocrites, you Pharisees. What's a hypocrite? All sorts of different things to understand here, kids, aren't there? It could be someone who says to their friends at school, I hate football, but really they spent the whole day before watching football. So they're presenting a different view of themselves that's not real. It's fake. It's phony. Spiritually, it's someone who says, I love God, but really doesn't. I'm devoted to God, but really isn't. I act one way on Sunday, around people and then with my wife and my kids I'm a completely different person. It's all external. It's all talk. And DeYoung says nothing will make your spiritual life so cold and unfruitful as pursuing traditionalism instead of Jesus. Some of the most harsh people you will meet our hardcore traditionalists, he says. Hypercritical, overly demanding, sure of what everyone else should do, harsh, lacking love. Jesus says, Pharisees, it's vanity. The worship you're presenting to me is futile, it's empty. And he goes now to Isaiah 29. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah spoke, of people in his day who are doing the same thing. Jesus says, this applies to you, Pharisees and scribes, because your heart is no different. You're binding people by commandments of men. You're abandoning God's law. There's no true faith. There's no love for the Lord. There's no heart to worship. It's all lips. It's all talk. I'm not going to wash... I'm not going to eat this bread before I wash my hands. Look at me. I'm holy. Empty and vain worship is useless worship. What's the underlying issue? Michael Reeve says, John 5, They seek glory from one another rather than the glory that comes from the only God. So what's going on here? In Isaiah's day, in Christ's day, still today, look at our own hearts, loved ones. They are enslaved by what people think of them. Addicted to the praise and applause of others. They never look up to see the glory that comes from God. They're just looking down. They're looking around. And that is the basic addiction that feeds hypocrisy. Longing for applause. Applause which is why for a pastor this could be one of the most most dangerous sins of all. Many of us spend our lifetime thinking I've got to get them to like me if I do just one more thing they'll like me. If I do what they say, maybe then finally it's enslavement. It's a warning because there are hypocrites in gospel-believing churches, people who say they're Christians but aren't, we don't go hunting and pointing and looking at specks. But loved ones, if any here is pretending to be a believer, you can fool others but not God. So we bring this to God. God, change our hearts. Another application. Genuine Christians can act like hypocrites sometimes. We're not perfect. So DeYoung asks again, has our Christian faith become nothing but a tradition? Are we more concerned with external correctness than the attitude of our heart? Do we use the Bible as a weapon against others? Do we nitpick on smaller matters that the Bible is silent about? Do we relate to God on the basis of our performance or Christ's performance? Do we have faith in Christianity and our ability to live it out or faith in Jesus? Beloved, we are not perfect here, but we at Emmaus Road will not bind your conscience outside of what Scripture teaches. We don't add rules to the Bible. We are a Reformation church, reformed according to the Bible. We realize that this issue has not gone away. The issue of legalism, no gospel, no Holy Spirit, What is legalism not? I want to say this up front. So these things are good. This is not legalism. Does that make sense? what I'm saying here. Legalism is not obedience to God and his law. It is not learning to obey all that Christ commanded us. It is not pursuing holiness. It is not striving to please and glorify God in all that we do. It's not being zealous in good works and bearing fruit and repentance. Legalism is not an error of Christianity. It's a different religion entirely, rooted in self-worship. It's the default mode of the human heart. Ferguson, instead of seeing God as loving and generous and full of grace, who gives us the law for our good, Because he loves us. A legalist sees God as a magnified policeman who gives us the law because he wants to deprive us and destroy our joy. Legalism is a restricted heart disposition to God. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. Eve was the first legalist. Eve added to God's law, Genesis 3. She said to Satan, God said we must not... Eat from the tree or touch it, lest we die. God never said anything about touching it. Adam and Eve lost sight of God. They break the covenant of works, antinomianism, they eat of the tree, as a fruit of their distorted view of God, legalism. What are the roots of this? We are born turned in on ourselves. Luther talked about that. Self-focused, selfish, self-absorbed. The roots of legalism are the human heart that says, I don't need grace, I'm fine. I will white-knuckle it, I will do it. Tell me, I'll perform, I'm good. We were at our kids' cross-country meet a few days ago. One person said, I'm a recovering legalist. Maybe that's your experience. We find grace to be a bitter pill. It tells me I'm not good enough. I don't like that. This form of legalism is putting ourselves under the law again to be justified, like a blind horse going round and around. The more we strive, the worse it gets. Attempting to justify ourselves before God by our own obedience, not trusting in Christ. That's form number one. Form number two of legalism, Sproul says, it's a complex spiritual disease, adding to the law of God. Things that God does not command or forbid, binding people's conscience. That's what's going on here in Matthew 15. The Pharisees are binding the conscience of others, saying, You've got to wash your hands, you've got to be ceremonially clean. It's subtle. It's elevating what is human above what is divine. It's removing Christian liberty from things indifferent. It's focusing on minutiae. And the third form, Sproul says, is loopholeism. Meaning, by focusing on the man-made laws, what is missed is God's law. What the Pharisees didn't care about was honoring their mom and dad. They used this principle, korban, to get around honoring their parents. Legalism, then, is a worse form of antinomianism, anti-law, than the antinomianism it seeks to battle, one person says. Jesus says to the Pharisees, by adding man-made laws, you take away from God's law. You're laying aside the commands of God. Legalism ends in antinomianism nomianism antinomianism ends in legalism they're two sides of the same coin antinomianism you know what I mean by that okay? I love to sin, God loves to forgive, no big deal I'm going to party, I'm going to do whatever I want I'm going to just go out and live it up and then ask God to forgive me and go back again and no change of heart no obedience, no worship, that's what I mean, right what are the results of this? Wherever human ideas begin to become authoritative, a tyranny develops. So many can be just real lax about God's commands. Oh, no big deal. Fourth commandment, Sabbath, ah, no big deal. Fifth commandment, honoring parents, ah, they're kind of cranky, you know. I, come on, you, you know what my parents are really like? Come on. No big deal. When it comes to other commands, man-made, oh, you had better fall in line. You know what this is like? It's tyranny. Exacting and precise, and no deviation. It's men presuming their God, making their own rules, enforcing them. It starves the soul. Legalism feeds our pride. It's a hidden cancer, Reeve says. Meaning, it's very hard to detect. It's like yeast or leaven, Matthew 16. It is a denial of the gospel, a sin. That for all its subtlety is more hellish than the sins of the flesh that the hypocrite condemns," Reef says. "Not easy to see, right? Easy to see murder. Well, that's obvious. Not here. Because the legalist pretends and avoids being found. What's the result in a church or a school or a family? or a relationship, or a marriage, or a neighborhood, or a business, people-pleasing, tribalism, empire-building, lovelessness, speck-hunting, looking for the speck here with a log here, unteachableness, rigid and harsh, judgmental, demanding perfection of others, not understanding God's love and not loving Beloved, Paul says stand up against it. A theology of grace and works cannot live in harmony together. What's the answer to this deadly sin? It is not anti-law. It is not sin that we just might do whatever we want. It is the gospel. Secondly, if the antinomian wants to extend Christian liberty to things that are not indifferent... The legalist wants to remove Christian liberty from things that are indifferent. The freedom of the gospel says you are in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Here's a story about Jimmy. Raised in a legalistic church. He was raised thinking that Christianity is about keeping the rules. Rules that the church made up about girls and boys and dating and alcohol and All manner of things added to the list of what someone was supposed to do or supposed not to do. He thought that was Christianity. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe you're wrestling with it now. He went off to school, college. He saw his friends having fun. He saw that they seemed to be happier. He threw it all out. If Christianity is about keeping the rules, he says, I want nothing to do with it. He left. He turned away from the Lord and the church. The question for us is, is there hope for those raised in legalistic churches who are battered and bruised and conflicted and confused about the gospel? The answer is yes. What is the opposite of deadly legalism? By nature, we are bound to sin and self, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The answer is Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in it, beloved. Jesus says, come to me, you who are heavy and weary and just laden down. Is that you today? Legalism is a heavy load to bear. It gives you no rest. It crushes you. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus has set you free, loved ones, from sin and guilt through his death in your place on the cross. He set you free from death through his resurrection on the third day. He's freed you from the devil. Satan thrives on accusation. You're not good enough. You're not doing well enough. You're not performing enough. For freedom, you are set free. Jesus paid the ransom price with his blood. He redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. He liberated you from the penalty of sin, the guilt of it, the pollution of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. You look not to yourself, but to him. You trust not in yourself, but in him. You rest not in your performance, but in his. Jesus has set you free from the condemnation of the law, the heavy yoke of legalism. You're justified apart from your works, but by Christ's works. You stand, beloved, today by faith in Christ, righteous, forgiven, accepted, beloved, You're adopted into his family. Don't try to work your way there. He came from heaven to earth to bring you to the Father. You don't win a place for God by your efforts. You are children of the living God. He loves you. So that means true freedom is not self-fulfillment. It's liberation from sin, death, and the devil. So stand firm, Emmaus wrote don't go back under that yoke. That's what the Galatians were doing. They said, now that we're saved, let's, the false teacher said, let's put you under the law again. That's like a crushing burden. Think of a yoke that you put on oxen and put it on, think of putting it on a hamster, kids. This huge oxen, this huge yoke to plow this field. You put it on a hamster, what's going to happen to it? He'll be crushed, flattened, smushed, that's what happens here. Or think of someone in prison, they're set free by the prison guard, and they say, I'm going to go look for another prison cell to live in. Don't do that. Galatians, Emmaus, don't go back. Christ freed you from the fear that comes from thinking you must keep the law to keep his favor. The fear that you sinned one too many times to be accepted by him. Loved ones, how many sins may you be forgiven of? Jesus says, all of them. You can put your head on the pillow at night, knowing that if you died as you trust in Jesus, you will be with the Lord forever. Christian liberty, I put it in the bulletin on page 5, from the Westminster Confession, is one of the hallmarks of the Reformation. And the gospel in the church today, freed from guilt, wrath, curse, death, and the devil in Christ. The gospel is the cure for legalism. In the beginning, we said gospel integrity. Do you know what that means? Reeves says the truths that we formally confess the gospel are embraced by the spirit in the heart that they affect us and change us. Integrity is where the head and the heart are aligned. This changes how we live, how we worship. What was going on with the Pharisees and in Isaiah's day? Vain worship, futile, faithless, godless, self-worship. Now, what do we say in response and gratitude to all that we have in Christ. God, help me to draw near to you with a true heart. God wants your heart. Oh, God, help me. My heart is distracted. It's weary. Give me your spirit. Give me humility to trust you, to love you. My mind is distracted. Help me focus. Help my heart to see your beauty, to honor you, that the worship of your people would be Pleasing, O oh God, to you in Christ. The gospel changes that. The gospel changes our attitude toward the Pharisee. David Strain brings this up. Maybe you're a recovering legalist, and this is where you might be. This is, I think, profound. You might wonder, how could someone be so blind? I'm not a Pharisee anymore. Don't they see the razor rocks of self-righteousness? Don't they see the hidden... Reefs of shame that they're living under and they're putting others under? Don't they see it? I'm glad I don't make that mistake anymore. See what Strain's saying? Legalism is so subtle that it can be expressed in my self-righteous boast that unlike my poor legalistic brother or sister, I know better. He's saying you can be a legalist and so can I and a Pharisee in your heart toward the legalist and Pharisee. The human heart is like a labyrinth. It can be so deceived and twisted. God help us. So you see the excessive narrowness of legalism, the burdensome man-made restrictions, but then we run aground on those very rocks, God, protect my heart, protect Emmaus Road from that, the gospel sets you free. Again and again going to the gospel. And you are free in the gospel not to sin, but to love God and his law, to love each other. Believer, you have a new relationship with God's law. The one who is outside of Christ is under a covenant of works. Do this and live. The one who is in Christ by grace through faith in a covenant of grace. The law says because Christ has kept the law in your place, do this because you live. So Paul doesn't confuse justification and sanctification like the legalist. He doesn't rip apart justification and sanctification like the antinomian. But you are free to live in joyful obedience to God. Here's Ferguson. The law of God is a gift to you from your heavenly Father. I thought that was helpful when I heard that this week. It's meant to keep you safe and well. To give you help as you look to Christ and the Spirit to obey God and to love God and to trust God and to pray, God, help me not to be a hypocrite. I see it in my heart. Give me a soft heart so that I'm not a legalist toward legalists or even a legalist toward my kids, my wife, my neighbor, my parents, my siblings. This works out in your home kids, how you treat each other. Give me a humble, teachable heart to encourage one another, to love one another, to point my brother and sister day by day to Jesus. When they sin against me, to forgive and forbear. When I sin against them, to go to the cross and confess that sin. Every day you and I need the gospel because every day we're sinners. We never get beyond it. To think we get beyond it is to go back to the yoke and the slavery of legalism. If you're in Christ, every guilt, every sin, every shame, every failure has been nailed to the cross. It's finished. By the Spirit of God, cry out, God, help me not to fear people. By the grace of God, help me not to live based on the opinions of men. Help me to live for Jesus who died for me in gratitude. Help me to do it for your glory, God, as I live each day. Help me, God. Help us, Emmaus Road, to find our rest in Jesus and his finished work. That is a gospel far better than the false gospel that says the Bible is about keeping the rules. This is a gospel that gives genuine hope for recovering legalists, because the gospel is the gospel of Christ, the one who is making all things new. Amen.